it's not black and white, right? You can't really replace the acceleration that you get of everyone in the room, like even like whiteboarding together, doing ideas, laughing, joking, good ideas, bad ideas. Now, you don't need to do that every day of the week, but there are certain situations that, you know, you can really accelerate. Want to reduce your team's code review time by up to 40% without touching your budget? Gitstream is the new free dev tool from Linear B that eliminates a key bottleneck in your team's workflow, pull requests and code reviews. After reviewing the work of over 2,000 dev teams, Linear B's engineers and data scientists found that pickup times for code reviews were lasting four to five days longer than they should be. The good news is that they found these delays could be eliminated in four key steps. First, by adding context to every pull request, such as estimated time to review. Second, automatically assigning the right reviewer and number of reviewers to pull requests. Third, having code review automation that auto-request changes. And finally, by automating PR approvals and merges. To learn more about how Gitstream works and to try it out free for your team, please visit gitstream.cm or search for Gitstream in the GitHub Marketplace. Hey everyone, welcome to Dev Interrupted. This is your host, Dan Lines, co-founder and COO at Linear B. And today we're joined by Fabio Lessa, Senior Director of Engineering at Duolingo. Fabio, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome to have you on with us today. I think a lot of people know, but if you don't know, Duolingo is a great company. In fact, some of our producers actually use the app, producers of Dev Interrupted, so they were excited to have the conversation today. And we're going to get into a lot of the things that you're doing at Duolingo You have some interesting training programs for managers, so we're going to touch on that. I think our audience will be really interested in that. But also, we're going to talk about some insights of how to create a great company culture that's not just a culture, but kind of transform into a business value. But before we talk about those things, you're passionate about RTO, which for those of you who don't know what that means, I didn't, I didn't know the acronym. So it's return to office, which is a really hot topic right now, actually completely different than when we first started this podcast. It was during the pandemic. I think I was working out of a closet in my tiny uh, apartment. And back then everyone wanted to talk about remote work and how to make a transition to like working at home. But as all mm-hmm. things in life, that we've learned it's about balance. So maybe the pendulum's coming back a little bit here with the RTO. So if we fast forward to today, I think it's great. Let's just start there. You say, you know, Duolingo has a strong belief in this in-person office culture. Why is that? Yeah, I think like it's something that we've always believed in. I think our founders always made, uh, put an explicit effort into making sure that we have had a nice office and we hung out together. We invested a lot on that. I think, the, you know, if you look at it, we don't do anything different in the office. If you go to a Duolingo office, the things we have there are things you'll find in like a lot of tech companies today, you know, have good lunch. Uh, the setup is really nice. But I think like there is something tangible about that investment and how people feel about work. Like as a personal experience, I can share it. Like when I, when I joined, I was actually still at Spotify and I was looking for I, like my next opportunity. I was interviewing with a few companies and that's when Duolingo reached out to me. and. So I was like, you know, I'm already interviewing, preparing for interviews, might as well add one more to the list, but wasn't really thinking much of it. Uh, so it was right before the pandemic. 
And I actually traveled to Pittsburgh where our headquarters are to do my interviews. And it was that day of interviews that I spent in the office. I met everyone that I really got sold on the, on the job. I, I don't know. I just felt tangible, like how that people were genuinely were happy working here and enjoyed it. So uh, it, it, it definitely bumped it to the top of the list. So how did the pandemic actually, because, you know, like pandemic, we went all remote. Did that change your opinion during that time frame about remote culture? Uh, or then did you like get like uh, sick of it a bit? And now, like, how do you compare like the pros and cons yeah. of each world? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think one thing about the pandemic that is funny and and complicates a little bit the conversations that we have today about it is that I don't think personally it was a good experiment of remote work, right? Like, because although, like you said, we were all forced to be at home and, and work only through, like without interacting with anyone, it was a really weird time. Everybody was stressed out. There were so many things happening in the world that made that a really stressful time, right? Like I think one thing that today, that, that things are mostly back to normal, uh, if you're working remote, you know, you can you get the benefits of being able to, you know, spend more time with people outside or go outside and do go work from a cafe more often. And those options were not available. People are all just literally locked inside their houses for the whole day. So I think there's a, like that data is a bit polluted, uh, so, so to speak. But one thing that we did learn is that people really enjoy, there, there's real benefits to also spending more time at home. I think, especially on some of the ways that we work today, remote, uh, working alone in your office in a good office setup has, has tr real benefits and people with like different life situations, like, you know, young kids and things like that, uh, or long commutes, like I do have that, that makes a real difference. So we feel that like it changed our per perception more in that, like now we incorporated some of that, like what is the best of like those two setups. And I think now we settled like uh, a lot of other companies into a three to two. So we do Tuesdays, Thursdays in the office and money of credit, it's optional to come in. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So now it sounds like you've settled into like a hybrid situation. That's right. What are, and mm. how strict is it, uh, like for the engineering team and is it like, I have mm -hmm. to be in these days or, or how do you, how do you balance the hybrid mm -hmm. nature? We definitely encourage everybody to be in and we've been having more and more events and things centered around everybody being there in those three days. But again, like because there is more flexibility with this, we, it knows if someone has something at home, I have this package delivery, I need to stay home. Like that's a more, an easier thing to do to just stay home. And that's okay because everybody's used to like when you set up a meeting, there's always a Zoom link in it as well. And people are used to doing that. But I think before the pandemic, it wasn't so, uh, such a, a habit, I guess, for everyone. Yeah. And what do you think is specific to engineering teams? So there's a lot, you know, there's, a, I, I had the privilege to mm -hmm. be like on the start on engineering, then do the go to market thing of like sales and marketing, some support, yeah. then go back actually now to product. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give you my, my experience. I'd lo love to hear uh, yours as well. So another mm -hmm. like life lesson, this is what my co-founder Ori always says to me, it's not black and white, right? Like full remote or like versus like totally. full in office. And it also, I think really mm -hmm. depends on what you're doing. So for example, mm -hmm. in product and engineering, we're kind of creating something together. Usually we're innovating on a new feature mm -hmm. or something new. And I think you can't really replace 
the acceleration that you get of everyone in the room, like even like whiteboarding together, doing ideas, laughing, joking, good ideas, bad ideas. Now, you don't need to do that every mm-hmm. day of the week, but there are certain situations that, you know, you can really accelerate. Now, on the other side of like, go to market, I've been in situations where really I'm on sales calls or I'm on customer success calls and I'm really doing like a solo job. I'm not, co- it's more about, yeah. okay, am I, am I in a comfortable environment? Can I take a walk mm-hmm. outside really quick? And I, and so, you know, that's kind of my, and, and that kind of favors like a more remote atmosphere. I'm not collaborating. What has mm-hmm. been your experience mm-hmm. for your engineering team with that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I mean, I 100% agree with what you said. But I do think also for engineering, there's like a lot of work that we do that there's true value in also having that one set up where, you know, you have dedicated focus time where working from home is great for. And I think the what's really funny, uh, one story I've been telling, I, I think before when we started going open office, right, like the setup with like no yeah, uh, no cubicles and things like that. When I started, it was all cubicles. And then we moved to that because that's when like agile as a way to work was like really picking up. And we were like, everybody's like, oh, we're going to pair all the time. And we're going to talk over, you know, in the team room and everybody can overhear it. And we're going to have design decisions, like all of that. Right. And if you look at it, we started shifting the tooling to get like, okay, so now we have everybody uses some version of like GitHub and we review code through like pull requests. Everybody chats on Slack. Like, you know, I feel like before the pandemic, the I don't know, eight, 10 years before the pandemic started, I caught myself multiple times in like situations when I'd be like, see two people slacking each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder. I'm like, look, you're sitting right next to, why don't you just turn around and have this discussion? And, or other cases where we'd be talking in a team room and people would be like, oh, you know what? We're trying to focus here, guys. Can you please go over there to, to talk? And I was like, no, this, this is open exactly so we can overhear each other and collaborate. And I think like that is the bit, if you're thinking like, hybrid, how do we come back to the office? Like you can't ignore the fact that today, the way we operate uh, in engineering needs a lot of that. that we, we, we built the tooling around that to be able to work. You know, and that's why people really leaned into remote when it started because they're like, yeah, I mean, the way we were doing the work, this is totally like the tools we have already are, are almost there. And I think the benefits of the office become more, you know, we get to hang out we have lunch together and we can go like to, you know, social activities in the evening, but maybe we don't need five days of that. You know what I mean? Like two, yeah. three days of that is more than enough. And so I think if we, if you ignore that reality, that for engineering work, there are lots of situations where that focus time is important. Uh, you're not going to be able to design like a, your office time and your office space also to leverage that. Yeah, I I remember that. I I was a developer during that. So my first job, was cubicles, but I did that for yeah. one year and then Same. the open yeah. office thing hit. Mm-hmm. So like my core mm-hmm. developer experience was in the open office world. And then I remember, you know, mm-hmm. Slack came out and all that. And I was that developer that would Slack someone sitting to, you know, spaces away from me. Now I'm right. thinking, why am I doing mm-hmm. that? I'm doing that because mm-hmm. I was locked into coding. I need, and I, maybe I had a question, That's but right. I didn't want to mm-hmm. leave my bubble of I don't yeah. really want to be bothered. I need information, but I don't want to get out of the mm-hmm. zone. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, get yeah. in the matrix. Yeah. I'm locked in. 
And yeah. it makes me, and then, you know, that whole open like office era was like insane. I remember also when it was like, okay, we're going to put sales next to engineering. We did that at one of my companies. It yeah, didn't yeah. Go, <laughs> go well at all because the engineers couldn't <laughs> yeah, focus. Yeah, yeah. And then the sales guys were like bugging them all the time. It was crazy. But yeah, yeah I think, right. I think right. it, yeah. it is a, about balance. One of the, the things, you know, if you're listening to this pod, because I do think there's a lot of benefits also to going back in, in, into the office. But I saw like convincing engineers to do so at some companies. It, I, I saw a lot of pushback, right? Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. my, my advice would be if you have like certain days of the week, I think you said you're doing two days, right? That's right. Yeah. At home. Two days at home, three days in the office. Yeah. Two days at home, two, two in the office. Three in the office. Three in the office. Okay. Yeah. Five days. Yeah. For the ones that, okay, here's the days that we're going to be together in the office. What I would say is make sure those are the days that you're doing the things that are better for collaboration, right? That's a good, okay, it's not just you're going to come in and then zone into your computer. Like, otherwise, why why do I need to be? So, like, my my, one of my advices would be when you're communicating a return to the office, make sure that those days that you're coming in, it's like, hey, we're going to do like product collaboration. We're going to do our retrospective meeting together. We're going to, whatever it is. I was wondering if you you had any other tips of how to do that communication to an engineering team of like getting getting people to come back for a few days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we, we, even throughout the pandemic, we kept the message, like everyone we hired during those times, we still ask people to relocate to one of our, the cities where our offices were. And I mean, there was more flexibility, right? Like we didn't have to ask people to relocate immediately, but we, it was definitely an expectation that, you know, you would be in one of our offices. So in, in that sense, it was easier, I guess, even though, you know, obviously there were people who asked to continue remote for a while. Some people asked, we had an exceptions process that uh, was in place for people to be able to, you know, ask to stay remote. But we didn't, it wasn't that difficult for us because we focused on, we're thinking this is going to end and we're going to return in some shape or form. So let's make sure that we find people who see that value, who, who still want to have that in some capacity yeah. so we, the push doesn't get too difficult. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, some yeah. great insights there. Now, in, the, in, in kind of our intro, I mentioned that you were really proud of the culture at Duolingo. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we just talked about like your in-person experience, all, all of that. Can you mm-hmm. now catch up our audience on your role at Duolingo? You know, the mm-hmm. work you're doing there, I- even like yeah. like size of the engineering team. And then let's get into like the okay. culture around that. So my role, I today I'm one of the engineering leads for the platform area at Duolingo. The platform covers like what you would think of it and most other orgs, like uh, the infrastructure, you know, on our on the cloud providers uh, that we have services in. It also covers like all of the data side. So all the data ingestion and making that data available to the internal consumers, our A-B testing framework, it's all produced by those teams. And then we have other teams like security, IT are also part of that. The company is around 600 people. Engineering is roughly half of that. So we're you know, kind of 300 ballpark. Nice. Okay. and. You know, you, you kind of talk about this great culture, but what makes the culture so great at Duolingo? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think a lot about to try and get to the bottom of the answer. Uh, because again, similar to the office, you know, the things I would point out, you can say that for a lot of companies as well, right? Like I think 
people in general are very nice. There's like a very supportive environment. So in that sense, I guess there isn't a lot of difference. My 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 take is that I think like this a more than average like number of people with a really strong connection to the mission and what we're doing, more so than I've seen in other places. And you know, if you think about it, also I think something that's related here is a lot of people have that draw to kind of consumer space products, right? So. Uh, it has that kind of, if you're especially for an engineer, it has that thing of like, oh yeah, I work on this app and you can show people and they love the product, you know? So people really enjoy that. And I think like, if you look again, industry-wide for tech, things are like, we're in a bit of a weird phase right now. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people, like tech has a, kind of a bad rap in a, for a lot of, you know, good reasons. And I think like, if you look at the consumer space, there aren't that many products that you can like, firmly stand behind and say what we're doing genuinely help people here there's no buts or ifs or you know what i mean like and i think duolingo falls a little bit into that i think people see that like we get a sign of that feedback obviously from from learners uh that you know how much they love the product and that it's like uh how much it helped them so i think that really helps too you know people feel that they they see that they're helping and that helps kind of the whole thing that's a good point like the the product the mission certainly mm-hmm. helps if it's something that's really like justifiable and yeah. you know it's not something i don't know that you can see between the lines of like oh you're just mm-hmm. trying to get like advertising money or like selling people's right. data right. or like you know that's right i'm sure you yeah. know there's billion dollar companies that are super yeah. successful that do that but when you really think about the mission you might say to mm-hmm. yourself yeah and i think like you know, know we just want to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And I think like we reached uh, a size, a certain scale that like now it has also the technical kind of challenges that people usually look for. You know what I mean? Like, there's a ton of data, there's a ton of traffic and you have to build like like big services and at, like a, a very consequential type of operation that, you know, a lot of for a lot of people in engineering, sometimes if you chase just that that side, that's when it gets complicated, right? Like, because I think that most companies offer the same thing. And and then, you know, if but if you have, if you find that connection with the product and what you're doing and you see that it helps that side, then it really becomes something like special. Well, what's cool for you is you're on the platform engineering side, right? You said you have like about That's 300 right. developers and usually, at least at Linear B, when we think about platform engineering, and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear like the goals that you have for your team or organization. But it's mm-hmm. a lot around empowering the rest of the developers that are within your organization so that they can do their job more efficiently with higher quality right. streamlined. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. what you know, throwing like a different question at you, like, how do you think about platform engineering and what are the goals of your organization? Yeah, I think the, you touched on on that already, the kind of empowering the rest of the teams to do their jobs and kind of like we want to build a platform that basically lets you do uh, without us getting in the way, I guess, like, you know, it's all of our requirements when it comes to reliability, security, uh, that get, they get built in more than, you know, uh, you having to come to us for help. You know, it's a journey that we're on. There's a, there's a ton of work that we need to get to fully realize that vision, but that's how kind of we've been thinking about it. And also like platform today at Duolingo, I feel like covers a lot of space because, you know, we have kind of the data side that I mentioned. And I think there's different like customer groups today that we serve. So there's, all the data side is really like not just engineering, but it serves like product heavily uses that marketing. So the that's like almost like an org on its own. Then we have like teams like security and IT, like I mentioned, that serves the entire company. They cover a lot of things that that we need to interact with with everyone. But then there's the kind of the core 
platform side, which is more engineering facing. And, you know, that's when we're providing tools like CICD and yeah. libraries for you to build your services and observability, things like that. Yeah. Go, going back to like your, what you were saying about like mission of, of the company and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think also in the platform engineering world, there's like a really nice mission as well. Like, so like, for example, some of the stuff we're doing at Linear B in our product, Gitstream, is all about mm. allowing developers to merge pull requests faster and not let them get That's stuck right. with higher quality. That's mm-hmm. like a really good, you know, feeling mm-hmm. with that product. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably get the same sense just being on the platform engineering team. No, I don't want to yeah. p- put wor- words in your mouth, but like, how mm-hmm. does that feel to be leading like that type of organization that's helping developers? Yeah, yeah. I think like... The people to, who gravitate usually are really passionate about, you know what I mean? Like their tooling and how yeah. we make this more efficient and really getting in the weeds of like how things work and providing kind of the best experience possible. Because I think like a lot of times like they felt frustrated with what, you know, they were getting before. And they're like, you know, I'm going to go build that and I'm going to make the best it can be. So, but you know, it touches even like on that culture side and the product side, because I think the that is again a case in platform more than other in product engineering. Yeah. We really need to like spend more time the leadership era, uh, group on rem- reminding people like what we're doing and what's important and what's happening on the product side and how the work that they're doing supports the teams that are building those features and yeah, so you don't get just stuck on the kind of tech side. Now, if I'm moving us into our last topic, which is maybe kind of like the meat of the discussion, you have something that you're doing with a work training program. I think it's for newer managers, but can yeah. you give us like an overview about this training program? We have, well, I mean, we have a leadership management training program, right? Like, and I feel like we invest a lot in that first phase of first transition, right? From IC to management. And there's a few reasons for that. Like the, the main one actually is that we almost have to because we have a very successful internship program at Duolingo. We have, we hire a ton of people that come through that program. So probably like our pyramid, probably like the base looks like we have a lot of like people more on the junior side or people whose job here is their first job. And so that means that like we have a lot of people who A need coaching, but a lot of, we have also a lot of people who are stepping into management for the first time because they've right. been here since they joined, right? So so there's that side. And also because, you know, like I was saying, that transition is always the, the trickier one. The first time you do management, there's like focus on like, how do we support those folks better? So what are the elements of that program that you have? Yeah. So there we have the uh, sessions, right? Like we have a, a kind of a week long round of sessions. But I think like the biggest thing that that helps is that we you need a strong coaching support from that. Because again, it's like, you need to have both the managers who manage those managers be properly trained to support them going forward. And also like peer support is something that we, we believe a lot in. And we have like structured like programs for people who go through that week-long program to then after they finish that, get together to do like support groups and talk about things. Because I think one, one of the things about management is that it's something that you, you can't just get from books. I think a, a switch that happens for engineers is that like, you know, if you read you're used to a world where like you can, you want to learn something new, you're going to use some new technology or whatever it is, Like you learn about it through books and videos and whatnot, and you're kind of ready to go and you do it and it will work, right? Like, because there's some deterministic aspect to it. But like with managing is the kind of like complete opposite. If you go with that approach, 
one thing that happens all the time for people is like you go and you're having this issue with someone on your team and you go and you find this book and you read it and it's like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to come in and I'm going to stay this and that and that and it's going to be great. And it goes completely different than what you expected. Someone else in the team that you didn't even think of reacts really poorly to it and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. This is, this is terrible. And so it does take a lot of time and experience to of doing it, you know what I mean? Like you really have to do it multiple times, different teams, different people. And that's really when you start finding a footing as like, how, what's my style here? How do I approach these problems for different people in different situations? How do I need to respond and things like that? Specifically going from an individual contributor on the engineering yeah. side to a manager, what are some of the aspects of like the training program that it touches on? And what are some of the common pitfalls going from individual contributor to man- new manager that you see? The only thing that's different in the program itself is like we, we have a session dedicated to just talking about that transition and these pitfalls, I guess. It's more of like get people in the right mindset as they approach it, approach the role. Because I think like some of the things that are difficult, like there's the, the classic one that always gets talked about is the fear of losing your technical skills, right? Like, it's like how much time should I spend coding versus management stuff? And, you know, you're exposed now to new responsibilities and, and situations that you feel incompetent again. I think that plays a factor. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that trips hold to that, I think uh, even though they understand what needs to be done, I think people still approach it from a like, I do what I used to do before, plus these other things. You know, I have to have these one-on-ones and, and I think it should be completely like, I, I have a new job here. I used to like, build products. Now I build teams that build products. And you might feel like I'm just playing with the words here, but like, I think that's a fundamental shift in how you approach things going forward, right? Like, so if a request comes into your team, you need to kind of pause immediately and be like, okay, should I pick this up? Because the reaction, especially for a strong, I were a strong IC, is to like, just go and do it. Cause you're like so good at it. That's why you, you know what I mean? Like you're senior, but like, you need to now take all these other things into consideration to be like, I'm trying to build a team here. Is it the best move for me to do it? Right? Like, when does this need to get delivered? Who are the people who I have in the team who are looking for opportunities, right? Like, right. should I try to coach someone on that and on doing that work? And so I think that is the kind of shift that needs to happen for you to like really start hitting the right, the right note. Now that you're at 300 developers, it probably means that you have dozens or tens of new managers, right? If you know mm-hmm. they're managing team of 10 or less or something like that. How do you roll out a, like a engineering training program like that at scale? Yeah, so that, I, I mean, I, I can't take credit for that one because it's mostly driven by our people team, but it's done in like strong partnership with engineering. You know, we work with them. I mean, I run one of the sessions and other engineer leaders in the company do as well. So we can like really, that, for example, this session that I talked about for new people in the, that, doing that switch was exactly because we felt that need. Like, you know, that's happened so often and people have this like first set of questions that happen all the time. Uh, so let's like just address that from day one and talk about it and tell them like what, what it's, what's going to happen and the things that they're going to feel and how to address that. So we designed kind of the program together. Then the follow-up is like I, what I was saying. I think it needs the strong coaching side once you're done with those five days. Because again, there's like I was saying about the books, like there's no training program that you can do in five days that you're going to have someone fully prepared to be a manager. It's what you do after that will really uh, ensure the success there. What have you seen to be the impact of having this program? And, that, and what I'm thinking about for our audience is like, do you think it's worth 
the investment to have a training program yeah. for new managers and like how big of a team yeah. do you think you need to get through where you actually get like good ROI, like return on that heavy investment? Yeah, if I had to like say a number, I think like when you start having like six, seven managers in the company, right? Like I think at that point you you start you need to start doing something, uh, even if it's just kind of more informal than this, than a formal program around that size is when you really want to start thinking about that. Because I think like historically what I've seen happen more often is like, like, okay, we need a manager. Hey, you, you're like the best engineer here. You're the manager now go. And you know, that's all you have. And you have, that's what happened with me at least. And then you kind of have to figure out, it's like, okay, what do I do uh, in this new role? And so I think like giving people the space to kind of talk about like the transition, what that means, what the expectations are, what we here at this company think management looks like, at least that type of chat, you, you could start having even from less people than what I mentioned. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up or, or anything else that we should know about uh, the training management program? No, I don't think so. I think the, the peer support group I mentioned, uh, that's something that we've seen a lot of people like, because I think uh, one thing, one aspect of management that you need to address is that it's, it's a role that's more isolating, I guess it would be the word. Because, you know, when you're, I see you, you have stuff you're having issues with at work, you can talk to like most people around you like, yeah, you know, I'm struggling with this and this has been a problem and you kind of have your team already to talk about it. But when you're the manager for the team, some of the conversations, you really don't have anybody in the team to share that with. So it's really important to build connections, you know, inside the company, even outside to have a group that you can have this type of conversation and share issues, talk about what you're, you know, how you're approaching and see how other people approached uh, situations before and, and try to get to that. Your style, I guess, of management quicker. Lastly, we always like to ask, what is it that you want engineers and engineering leaders in our audience to take away from this conversation? Like, what's the most important takeaway? I think the one thing that Duolingo really drove home for me these last three years is this idea of like starting from the people, right? And, you know, from hiring to training, all those things, spending as much time as you can afford to, to find the people who really believe in what you're doing and get investing in the work environment as much as you can, like those things really pay off. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it might sound like I'm saying, that management should kind of almost like optimize to make people feel happy. And actually I've been in roles where it was like, it was, management was like purely people management. They were not even part of the teams where people were doing their work. And I really didn't like that. I think that tension between, you know, we have things to deliver and we have people with aspirations and goals, like that really forces you to, you know, both understand the business, the product and what you're trying to do and what people people like what their interests are, what they're trying to do with their careers to be able to fully marry that. So I, I don't advocate at all for a, like a, a, that way. The way I like to think about it is more of like, it's not, do, do I deliver on the goals or do I make people happy? I don't think this is like the way we deliver on the goals we believe is by having a happy, engaged team, right? Like, so it's almost like you need to have that to be able to, to deliver effectively. So I think that's kind of the, the big lesson I would, I got from you working here. Well, Fabio, thank you so much for all the insights that you've brought. It's been awesome having you on the podcast. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me.